this. It was a very nice introduction. I wish I would have gotten that recorded. But <laughs> um, I'm an attorney doing like contract negotiations. I also do a lot of writing. If I could, that's what I would do full-time. But yeah, I'm just going to share a little bit about my experiences, some thoughts that I've had as I've kind of ruminated on this question, why I remain Catholic. So to start out, just a few disclaimers. Um, first of all, I'm not perfect. I'm not here to be anyone's hero or role model. I'm just here to present some like perspectives based on my limited experiences and understanding of these questions. I am not a theologian or an expert on anything except maybe like contract negotiations. <laughs> um, so yeah, also I'm only speaking for myself. I like speak and write a lot about being a gay Catholic, but that experience is not monolithic. There are many different experiences under that umbrella, and this experience is mine. That being said, I also <laughs> may not be helpful with some of the things that I say this evening for you. If I say anything that's helpful, that's great. If I say anything that is not helpful, feel free to just, like, leave that to the side. And also, on this question, why I remain Catholic? I know that for a lot of people, this has been a really, like, hard question over the last year, the last couple of years. And also, just want to show it's been a hard question for me, too. Um, this is a question that I've struggled with at various points, especially over the last year, a question that I'm still kind of working through and processing. So if you, I do not want to present um, as someone who's saying, I have this figured out and I have the final answer for myself, because I don't. But I just kind of want to share how I think through this question. Uh, so in terms of my background, I'm not a native Minnesotan. No one ever really guesses where I'm from because I do not have an accent anymore. But I do say y'all, I'm originally from College Station, Texas. Grew up there, it's a uh, college town. Just for context, very conservative, very Republican. I went to a little like podunk Catholic school there that I really actually loved. I had a really, really great experience. When I think about my life as a Catholic, it really um, is kind of rooted in that background. Uh, growing up, I've always been Catholic. My father came from a very kind of pious church lady family. Uh, my mother came from a very strong-willed church lady family. My, uh, my grandparents, one of them's Catholic, the other is Hindu. Uh, so kind of a multi-religious family background. But for me, Catholicism is everything that I've always known. I was baptized in the church, went to Catholic school, and it was pretty early on that I became pretty passionate about being Catholic. Uh, I was a praise and worship kid growing up, but I think it was kind of middle of high school that I started to kind of approach my faith in, in a way that I think I've really kind of owned over the course of my life so far. So when I think about to kind of two, two big things that I think I learned that were really important for me. One was the definition of a sacrament, which I'll never forget. Efficacious signs of grace instituted by Christ and entrusted to the church by which divine life is dispensed to us. Thank you, 10th grade Mrs. Beeler. Uh, and when I think about that, the thing that I, that's really kind of struck with me lately are, is that sacraments as efficacious signs of grace. So when we think about grace, I studied Latin in college, so I think about the Latin, the Latin word for grace, which is gratia, which also means kind of gift. So when I think about grace, I think about 
something being like God's giftedness to us, his creative love that he offers us for like no reason other than that he loves us. And ultimately these are, um, this is a really important part of what the sacraments are. And they're efficacious in that they do what they signify. So they like create God's giftedness in a way for us. Uh, the other thing that really sticks out to me is uh, my world history teacher who uh, defined history as a record of man's interactions revealing God's plan for the universe. And that really got me to think about my faith in a way that can really be in, uh, integrated with my intellectual life as well, like how I pursue my studies, how I think about the world. It got me to think about how I can uh, put my faith in the context of every aspect of my life. I got really passionate about that, so then um, when I went to Notre Dame for undergrad, I decided I was going to study philosophy and classics, and especially lots of Aquinas. I was very into that. And, and in some ways, it was kind of, you know, the thing that I wanted, but I think for me, Notre Dame, Notre Dame was kind of the first time that I felt kind of like real conflict, especially when it came to my faith and my sexuality. Uh, so while I was at Notre Dame, I was... I, I don't know. I think my parents would maybe call me, like, intensely Catholic. Yeah. I was I was a lot. Um, I was one of the uh, Latin Mass kids. Hung out with... I mean, the easiest way to describe my crowd is, like, we were the long skirts and pleated pants crowd. Um, which, there's nothing wrong with long skirts and pleated pants. But that just gives you context for my world. And, but, you know, in college, I also found myself, like for the first time, like, in love with another guy, uh, which is a super confusing experience for me. You know, we ended up being in a really like, confusing relationship. I had no idea what to do with it, what to make of it, and, you know, just trying to kind of navigate this very confusing part of my life that I felt I couldn't be open with or talk to people about. And all of that kind of culminated in, at the end of my sophomore year of college, our rector who was a priest got involved and I ended up getting kicked out of my dorm which is a very significant experience as you might imagine but then over the summer to kind of add to it um, he had reached out and said that I was not allowed to go into the dorm including to attend mass at the chapel and that was kind of the first time in my life where I kind of felt that I was like an outsider to the good Catholics or that um, you know there was something that just didn't feel right in the way that things were being presented to me from people who I like normally really admired. You know, one of the hard things for me with the rector was, you know, I wanted to live in the dorm because he was like I knew he was like really intensely Catholic, and that was something that I had thought that I wanted. So it was a really confusing experience for me. I ended up the next year doing a semester abroad in Rome with the University of Saint Thomas of the Catholic Studies program. And uh, in a lot of ways, that was a very, like, healing experience for me. I came out to someone for the first time to one of my Catholic friends and, like, received me very well, very gently, very warmly. And so that, and that was really helpful as I kind of tried to navigate, okay, what am I going to do with this next stage of my life? So, after college... I come out, and normally people, they, like, come out and start kind of, like, integrating that experience into their lives, but for me, I, like, came out on a very popular blog and then started writing and public speaking and doing all of these things, and, I mean, largely, you know, at the time, I was one of those kids where I just, like, you know, defend church teaching, help to make it clear, um, accessible to people, 
but at the same time, I still had this like very confusing relationship going on in the background. Eventually, the relationship uh, broke down after time. That was a really like devastating experience in part. I think because I had kind of tied so much of my like identity in the relationship, and also I felt that. You know, it was kind of the thing that sustained me through a lot of hardships that I'd had over that period. Um, but it was just really devastating for me. I, um, you know, I had kind of like classic first heartbreak response. Like, the world is dark. Nothing has meaning. And so I kind of like entered this atheist phase. Uh, but the weird thing about the phase was I, I, just, I couldn't escape. I still had this like really weird feeling that I was Catholic even though, like, I didn't really believe in God, and I did not think the world had any meaning. But Catholicism just in some ways felt very inescapable for me. Uh, you know, some would say maybe it's, like, cultural Catholicism. I think that was probably a part of it, but I, just, I couldn't really like, figure out what to make of it. Eventually, I kind of had an experience where I, like, came back to believe, but I was um, really mad at God and also did not know what to make of it with my friends. So I would like, secretly go to Mass and not tell anyone. And I did that for, I think I did that for, like, months. Um, but then eventually kind of, like, came back to my faith, realized that I needed to address a lot of, like, issues in my life, one of them being, like, having this relationship while also, like, speaking about church teaching on, on these matters, being really public about it. And then also another hard experience that I had um, that I'm still in some ways unpacking is, so at the, at the time I was getting my graduate degree in Catholic studies and also getting my law degree, and I had been offered an internship working for the Holy See at the UN. And as part of that process, I had disclosed the program director, like, just so you know I'm gay, in case, like, someone is, like, Googling me and stuff comes up, but, like, all my public stuff has been in defense of the church's position, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, I was told that'd be fine. Uh, and then they took it back to the nuncio, and then I got a message back that, that said, you know, unfortunately, we don't think that right now would be a good time to place a gay person into this position. And, you know, for me, that's kind of, you know, a big experience of when I think about kind of like unjust discrimination in my own life in the church. That's kind of like the kicker. But I don't know, like, I think... Uh, you know, for me, Catholicism has been a lot of different things over the course of my life, and, and I think that I am, um, you know, in some ways I feel it as something that's kind of inescapable for reasons that I will, like, elaborate on shortly. Uh, but I think one of these questions kind of came to the forefront when I saw someone had shared on Facebook a post that I will read to you. So it said, said okay, I have to say this. If you're going to a church that is not actively putting in the work to understand and affirm queerness, you are not an ally. And no, having a gay couple attending your church doesn't automatically make you an ally. And as I kind of reflected on this, you know, t to me, I realized that, like, my relationship, I think, is really different to Catholicism from what I think is uh, kind of, like, presumed by this kind of post. You know, if I was going to kind of, like, put it most bluntly... I will elaborate on this, you know, that disposition of, um, you know, if you don't just go to an affirming church, um, then you're not really an ally, then you're not really supportive of gay people. You know, to put it bluntly, to me, that's, you know, kind of really grounded and kind of centering on a sort of kind of like white American evangelicalism, 
uh, something that I'm really familiar with because of like going back, growing up in Texas. Uh, and what I mean by that is it's a sort of vision of the church that in a lot of ways kind of prioritizes um, the like American virtue of like choice. Um, in some ways, I think it sees the church as sort of kind of like a social club where it's like porous and you can kind of easily move in and out. Also something that's kind of like highly individualist, um, so something that kind of is centered around kind of your individual experience and separate, separated out from kind of other dynamics within the institution. And also in some, some ways it's um, kind of like capitalist in that you know, it sees kind of your church affiliation as something where you kind of like seek the like maximum like, satisfaction of your desires possible. And, you know, I think that all of those considerations are certainly worthy considerations um, to when you're thinking about, you know, what is my relationship to the various like institutions in my life. Uh, but I think that the Catholic Church is, is, is a very different kind of thing. So, like, when people become Catholic, when they are Catholic, when they remain Catholic, you know, a lot of times it doesn't kind of come down to just one thing. Catholicism is a lot of different things, and it's a lot of different things to different people. You know, it's not just what the church has to say about a particular matter, but for a lot of people it's about kind of the sacraments that keep them grounded, or the liturgy, Catholic social teaching, the intellectual tradition, art and architecture, their family histories. Um, you know, for me, um, especially coming from a Chamorro family where... Catholicism is so embedded in our culture and in our family culture, uh, when I think about stepping out of it, really what I'm also stepping out of is kind of like a family culture and tradition. And, and really those answers are kind of personal to each question. So the things that I like are relevant to me may not be as relevant to you, but hope that some of this is helpful. So when I think about what makes someone Catholic, you know, at, sometimes we might hear kind of controversial figures in the church and someone make comment, well, they're not really Catholic because they don't agree with the church on this or they don't do this. Um, and ultimately, that view of Catholicism sees being Catholic as something that um, the identity is grounded in something that you do. Uh, but when I think about Catholicism and what makes one Catholic, uh, the thing that I really keep coming back to is, is baptism. And so I'll share kind of a couple, a uh, little bit out of the catechism on what baptism is and then what that means to me. So, uh, so paragraph 1213 says, Holy baptism is the basis of the whole Christian life, the gateway to life in the Spirit. Through baptism we are freed from sin and reborn as sons of God. We become members of Christ, are incorporated into the church, and made sharers in her mission. Baptism is the sacrament of regeneration through water in the Word. So what happens when you're baptized is you're made into something new, and you become a sharer of something. And then paragraph 1272 says, Incorporated into Christ by baptism, the person baptized is configured to Christ. Baptism seals the Christian with the indelible mark of his belonging to Christ. No sin can erase this mark, even if sin prevents baptism from bearing the fruits of salvation. Given once for all, baptism cannot be repeated. So what baptism does um, is it, I mean, it fundamentally changes who you are. And you become a member of something and a sharer of something. And when I think about the question, why remain Catholic, um, can I think back to kind of this view of sacraments as like gifts. 
sacraments are things that are characterized by like giftedness um, rather than by choice. They're things that God gives to us freely, um, and baptism is something that um, stays with us no matter what we might do, no matter what we think, no matter how we feel about the church. Um, you know, I think in some ways my understanding of baptism kind of informed the way I think that I experienced atheism. You know, I, I was still part of something, but I didn't really know quite what that was. And, you know, and the church has this like, view of baptism that's something that, like, leaves this indelible mark. And, and that you're worthy of just because God's given it to you. So when I think about being Catholic, I don't think of it so much as something that one does, um, as much as I think of it as something that one is. And the only reason that one is is because, like, God has gifted it and wants to gift it. And when I think about kind of choosing and Catholicism, you know, my experience of Catholicism isn't so much one of choosing um, as it is, like, entering into a reality of chosenness. Now, like, if this is all true, and we experience the church as kind of, like, God's, like, presence on earth, and the way that we experience God in the world today, you know, I think this is partly why experiences of, like, scandal, experiences of exclusion by church leaders, and experiences of rejection can be so jarring. Because really what it can be experienced at, as is you're getting mixed messages from God. On the one hand, like, you have this like gift of chosenness. But then on the other hand, there are also these deep experiences of rejection. And, you know, an image that, you know, if you've been around me, that I often come back to um, when it comes to following the will of God comes out of Therese Lezou's Story of a Soul. Which kind of analogizes following the will of God to falling asleep in your father's arms. And, you know, and, and when she has that image, you think, well, it sounds so easy, right? Um, obviously, that should be easy. But I think that part of the difficulty for Catholics today is that it's really hard to fall asleep in your father's arms when you don't know if you can trust him. Um, and I think that that is the experience that a lot of laity have right now, especially when it comes to um, a lot of scandals when it's in regards to clergy. I think it's been it's really hard because if God is supposed to be Father and the priest is supposed to be in persona Christi and is supposed to be Father as well, you can get a lot of mixed messages about whether or not you can trust your Father. So one of the things that I have been trying to do when I think about the church, um, does the church want me? Do I have a place in the church? What does the church mean? A lot of it has involved rethinking what I think of when it comes to the church. You know, when people say, like, the church does this, the church does that, what they tend to mean is um, the bishops do this, diocesan policy does that, the pope does this. But really, if what makes us Catholic is this indelible mark that can't be taken away, um, that all of us receive equally, none of us has received a different baptism from anyone else, um, then really I'm just as much the church as anyone else, including, like, leadership. We all have different roles in the church, but the power and authority of the church does not come from God to the bishops to the laity. In reality, like, 
we're all given like authority in the church because it's not that the magisterium is the head, it's that Christ is the head. And the magisterium and the lady, the clergy and the lady, we have roles to play. And ideally, the relationship between the clergy and the lady is not going to be one of power domination over the other. It's going to be one that's complementary, where we each have gifts to offer, where we each have authority and exercise leadership in our various capacities, and also where we learn mutually from one another. So, um, you know, when I think about kind of like who the lay people are in the church, you know, I think about the calling of each to be like father, to be priest, prophet, king, um, the biblical calling that the church says that all Catholics, all Christians have. And it's not a calling that comes from the bishops, but it comes from God. And, and I think that one of the failures of the church in the last few decades has been the lady taking at times an overly deferential relationship, or having an overly deferential relationship to a lot of leadership. And I hope that one thing that the scandals and difficulties that we've experienced as a church can propel us to do is to all take responsibility to all be church.